0: Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. John, every Thanksgiving, I try to feature one person out of our 19,000 employees, and this year, it was a layup. John Authors has been on fire. You know, he's publishing like every three or four days, and you can cherry-pick any given Is this four essays. an official essays. award? It's an official award. It's a turkey award. <laughs> what does John, what what does John
1: get? What does John win? I don't, get something. Turkey salad
2: sandwich.
0: Turkey salad sandwich, yeah. But um, he's just been on fire, whether it's on the earnings, idiocy, or that. John, why don't you bring him in on his new essay here on the whole ESG Vogue. We're
1: very ESG this morning. Can we start with the reasons we should be thankful which is his most recent piece, which I think might be more interesting. John Authors, Bloomberg Opinion columnist. Investors have plenty of reasons to give thanks. Let's go to the 2019 edition of Reasons to be
3: Thankful. John, where do we begin?
1: Well, The main reason to be thankful this this year, apart from my reason to be thankful, everybody's being so nice to me at uh, Bloomberg, the main reason to be thankful, obviously, is that the market has gone up an awful lot. So if you're in stocks, you did very well. Uh, And a lot of that is... Through factors that we're not going to see repeated very easily, you've seen populist politicians uh, misplay their hands quite badly around the world. I think that's an important one. inflation stays within the box and you've seen uh, American consumer confidence stay remarkably high given uh, however many other things are happening yeah uh, and yes carry on
2: well no but but John uh, Tom uh, mm. Jonathan Farrow was talking about this earlier, how we've seen People get the call for the economy right. They got markets wrong. They were not expecting the rally that delivered twenty five percent. If you just stuck your yes. money in an index and put your feet up, as you put it, is this yes. all due to central bank easing?
1: It's mostly due to central bank easing. Yes, uh, people were not expecting. The reason we had the, the main reason we had the big sell off going into Christmas Eve last year was the belief uh, that J Powell was going to go through with being. You know, a, a, um, Reducing the uh, the balance sheet is the Fed balance sheet on also pilot, to use his own term, and keep raising rates. The fact that uh, he stopped doing that and then actually went into a very major U-turn is the main reason we've seen the recovery that we've that we've seen. And the fact that there was this uh, sell-off obviously makes makes the uh, markets look much better than uh, they would do if you look at basis other than uh, year-to-date. It. We're so used to thinking in terms of a calendar um, yeah. that you know, the, uh, the, the stock market is not, perform, is not uh, rallying in uh, the way that you would normally think of 25% twenty-five percent rise. It's because of this right. uh, rather arbitrary timing of a sell-off last year.
0: John, one of the things we have to be thankful for is you wrote an essay mm. on the earnings, what I call the earnings idiocy, how we're complete drug and <laughs> fixated on every 90 days. Uh, yes. the, how did the earnings madness do this year did we get revenue growth right did we get earnings growth right just as an industry
1: uh, broadly speaking yes but it doesn't <laughs> again it doesn't it doesn't seem to matter very very greatly that what what we've had in, in the, this year so far has been uh, a succession of really very unimpressive Uh, earnings data but that hasn't stopped the the stock market from doing what it's doing Uh, if you want to play the game of have we beaten expectations or not um, I, i i made the argument that we should be junking both uh certain we should certainly be junking earnings guidance by companies completely because this becomes part of the distraction of uh we all know about this: it's yeah. setting barriers for yourself so you can beat them. Right. Um, but the uh, in in broad terms, no, we're not seeing anything like the kind of uh, uh, the, the kind of strength in earnings that you would normally expect yeah. to have uh, to have uh, results going like this. It's earnings earnings momentum is very weak globally, uh, and it's pretty right. flat right. in the states.
0: John, thank you so much. John authors Bloomberg Opinion. Bramwitz and Tom Keene, thank you for being with us uh, this morning. Uh, at least the men got to get dressed up, don't they?
2: Yeah, I love this title, uh, Trying to Get Boys to Dress Like Men, <laughs> yeah. uh, that our next guest uh, helped to author. Yes. Joseph Aboud joining us here. And I, I got to say, uh, this is really an interesting question, which is what do people wear to work? And Tom Keene, yeah. I know you're going to mention what I wear to work. <laughs> uh, well,
0: there's, you know, Lisa's like a lot of people. There's different looks depending on the day as well. But what's the trend absolutely. right now? Are we getting all fancy or are we still kidding?
4: Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, you know, Lisa, guys are getting dressed again. And it depends on where you work and, you know, what your occupation is. If you're dressing for radio, it's one thing. If you're dressing for TV, it's I'll another. Say. <laughs> right? But I love to see that Tom is is sporting his double-breasted sport coat. And it's nice to see well, that people do that.
2: Joseph Aboud, fashion designer and chief creative director of Tailored Brands. Right. You make your products in the United States. Our
4: tailored suits, yes. And,
2: and you do make tailored suits. How is that industry changing, where you actually have a custom-made product? Mm-hmm. Are people gravitating more to that?
4: Yeah, it's, the whole customization thing is really interesting because it's more about your own personality. So it used to be that custom suits were only for the elite, and now it's much more democratic. So we, uh, we produce uh, a great number of suits in our Massachusetts factory where we have over 800 employees. And we've been doing that for over 30 years.
0: say good morning to Boston, 106.1 FM with good Joseph morning, Boston. as well. You've got a sport coat up here. Lisa says, Tom, you got to squeeze into this one. <laughs> and it is 100% cashmere. Mm-hmm. The fabric woven in Italy. That's right. Uh, it is $1,495 for a sport coat, which gets you, you know, into it, but it looks like it's out of Louis. I mean, how do you pull off that. that price point out of the Louis that you and I knew on Newbery right. Street? Right. And that ago? was
4: such an iconic store, Lisa. It was a great, great menswear store that carried the best of the product. But because we're vertical, Tom, the fact that we buy our own fabrics and we don't have the traditional wholesale retail margin we're able to bring a much better value to the customer.
0: And what's, what's simple here is is, is I'm seeing a, on your website, Joseph Aboot, I'm seeing a more upscale look. Is that mm-hmm. what the audience wants right now? Yeah,
4: I think individuality. I think style, as I said to you before, men are the new women. Um, they really <laughs> want to get dressed. They it's not going to go over.
2: <laughs> I will say, I mean, men, are, men are the new women. Uh, does Black Friday matter in your line of work. I
4: think it does. Yeah, I think not necessarily for custom suits, perhaps, but for all the accessories. For example, the great gift is a cashmere sweater. To me, that's a great piece of, uh, of a man's wardrobe. And that's something that, you know, you can get as a gift or a great cashmere scarf. So Black Friday matters probably more with the accessories and the sportswear.
2: Men are the new women. I'm thinking in 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 the female uh, area. Instagram uh, yeah. I- influencers really have become the same hot thing. thing, and I'm wondering uh, for men if it is the same thing. Who? What type of individuals are the main influencers here driving this?
4: I think they're fashion guys. I think there's a lot of them are uh, have been editors in the past, and now they're talking style, and they're talking to the millennial. Uh, the millennial really understands where fashions going and i love the fact that that's a new buying group for us that young consumer is getting dressed and a young guy is wearing suits because he wants to not because he has okay to. but
0: what about the younger i'm going to call it broadly conservative guy they don't right. want cutting at gucci they don't want right. this. they don't want right. that right. somebody that says look i really don't want to spend money on this and they're going to go into joseph abud for a reasonable coin to get a lot better look right how's that with a millennial
4: well i think that's true if you think a lot of the younger guys who have stepped into the financial world they want style but they don't want aggressive fashion that's a really great point Because they still will wear wear something conservative, yet at the same time, they'll like their cuts to be slimmer and trimmer and more to their generation. So we have to speak to them on their terms.
0: Lisa, do you see me in a black turtleneck? Oh, definitely. <laughs> I think, don't
4: I you absolutely. think you could pull that off? Yeah, 100%. I, I, yeah. Woke up,
2: do you
0: have one? I woke up today and I said, Oh my God, a, a boot's with us, so I got a style. So <laughs> well, I went, This is a gift from the Dunhill people of London. This they do a great time. job. They do a and, great job. And I, I wore this for you today because well, it's that you. flare thing. That's, that's well, I love the black you watch have tartan. Flare. You like yeah. that? Yeah,
4: John really, has a style. I mean, yeah, Tom has a style, both, Does both he both not? doesn't he? have style. John has our English moment. You know,
2: when we say men are the new women, With the women, you're seeing an increasing move toward the yoga pants and away from work. I mean, I'm just wondering, I know you specialize in in menswear, but are we seeing a reversal here?
4: It could be. It really could be. Heard it here
2: first, Bloomberg Surveillance.
4: (laughs) That could be. I, I think we see women changing their style, but we also see that happening with men.
2: Can
0: I talk about something sensitive? Uh, Of
4: course. Why in God's
0: name are people like you and others, and you've provided leadership on this, I'm setting you up for tall
4: clothes, extra long. Big big and tall. tall,
0: Not so much big and tall, but just there's a huge body of men out there. Nothing fits.
4: That's right. A lot of American men. That's correct. That's why custom... You know, Tom, custom is so important for those guys. And now that it's more affordable, we can fit all body types.
2: So, and you did just have a partnership with the NFL, right? Yes, 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 And exactly. does this sort of play to that a little bit? Well,
4: it does. We've done these great uh, stylized linings and individual linings that you could put into your custom clothing. But what, some of my best customers are not 40 regulars. They're bigger guys. Yeah, and it's I've a always huge issue, had, Lisa. I've always had the good fortune of understanding how American men are built and how to dress them. Because, as I said, not every guy is a runway model.
2: Yeah, what uh, fabrics are hot? Moi. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
4: well, for the fall season, cashmere has become more affordable. I think uh, Tom, to your point, you know, a yeah. great cashmere jacket, cashmere, because the natural fibers still are important—cashmere, camel hair—but we are seeing a lot of performance fabrics now so that guys suits within suits there's stretch and there's uh yeah but uh, but it's it's still nothing more beautiful than an all-wool or a great cashmere you're moving
0: the burgundy floral modern fit vest for $325 our vests back
4: yeah you know think about men have so few options really in their wardrobe that vests are a great category they can wear them with or without their jackets and it just gives, again, another level of individuality. It, so, yeah, that's, uh, you know, love this. Do you want to make us. those
0: tall and help me here?
4: Uh, we can certainly I, do you that. You
0: got the size thing going, but the, I, I'm fascinated. Steve Sadov was in the Giant of Saks Fifth Avenue the other day. Yes, Steve, a Same good Same question friend. I said to Steve. I said... It's like women in zero and double zero in that, going the other way with men.
4: Well, you know, the vanity sizing thing is always an interesting thing. Guys kind of fall into that trap a little bit, but when you do get into custom, you don't have to worry about that.
2: Who's your biggest competitor at this point?
4: You know, I think when we talk about competition, we look at everyone really. I think everybody is fighting for the same guy. Yeah, but
2: increasingly, if you talk to Macy's, you'll hear that Target and Walmart uh, have actually emerged as competitors in a way that they hadn't before. It's so
4: interesting that you said that. I mean, we really look at the sort of the psychographics of the guy and the price value.
2: Psychographics of the guy. Yeah, I had a band in high school called Psychographics
4: No, so really to understand what a guy really wants, not so much about... What do they really want? what, What I think that what guys really want is they're own personal style and i love that about them and it's all you know it's not i think the greatest myth is that men shop price they don't uh, they shop uh, product for the best price and that's the price value proposition right. so to me it isn't so much of what a guy can spend it's what he thinks he should pay for something of value yeah. so I'm, value is I, really I, the game not price but value
0: you're killing it today with a look we'll get that out on radio <laughs> the black turtle i got to consider the black turtle uh, you know yeah. you could carry it off to, i you think you need to do it it's, yeah, it's so, slimming
4: so. and and Especially i did have a good I, I did have the good fortune of visiting the building uh the Bloomberg Building in London, Queen Victoria Street. Yes. Oh my God! We do this, okay. From a design point of view, an amazing feat. Yeah.
2: You know, I just learned what a guy wants: individual style. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Here, I, I mean, this is this is hard wisdom. Well, uh, you wrong. women
4: can help us guys. Let's really. It that way. Oh yeah, so? women play such an important role. Leave. In- you know
0: <laughs> <laughs> Joseph Abood thank you so much thank greatly appreciate it. playing in Lisa. New Bedford Thanks. Massachusetts it's american made Joseph Abood and uh, you can go to their website and check it out it's uh, it's a really different website from so much of retail uh, today us now and we're thrilled that she could find time with us this is one of her busiest days of the year joe feldman with us earlier and now dana telsey joins a telsey advisory group she built a franchise at bear stearns a few years ago and has uh moved it over to her own telsey advisory group which is a required read on wall street dana i got about eight topics to go through in no time so let me go through this quickly i love what you say in your note nordstrom omg target wow and on you go And under Macy's, you have, huh, what does Macy's need to do to begin to staunch the damage?
5: I think overall, one of the things that all of these department stores need to do is they're focused on reinventing to maintain relevancy. I think whether it is address the fact that when you think about managing experiences into the purchases of buying, what used to be amazing is now the new expected. So they have to figure out ways to amaze the consumer again. And I think service becomes a much more important part of it. And look what you're saying. I mean, Macy's is all of a sudden now having options within the store, whether it's the destination businesses that yeah. they're focused on, story, you got a surprise. And I think Macy's needs to surprise the customer again. And I think it's a work in progress.
0: Your heritage is the heritage of 57th and 5th Avenue. Literally, folks, and I, as I say, this is great respect to Robert Burke and all he did at Bergdorf. You lived it, Dana Telsey, with your family at that storied corners, What should LVMH do with Tiffany's? They've got Bulgari. They've got Louis Vuitton. Van Cleef is over there with somebody else. What's the Dana-Telsey prescription for uh, Tiffany's at 57th and 5th?
5: When you think about jewelry and you think about Tiffany's, you think about engagement jewelry. When you think about people who get engaged and get married, typically they're in their 20s, 30s, could even be 40s. You think about the experience in Tiffany's, and it's older than that. You need to match the experience of what the store is to the age of the customers who are coming in for that special occasion. And I think... When you think about LVMH, five years ago, ten years ago, the word pop-up would never even be a part of their vocabulary because they thought longevity, heritage, and authenticity meant being there forever. And it does mean in that location certainly forever, but what has to be the experience inside the store has to be a magic wow. And I think they're going to create that. Look at the, what you have on the LV store now, whether it's the symbolic LV and the different colors that are going down the side of the building, or every time you walk by their windows, it's, wait, what's different now? And I think the what's different equation is what needs to be recreated at Tiffany's.
0: And they talk about good, better, best. Steve Sadov was talking about that at LVMH and at Louis Vuitton. How do they do good, better, best at your Bergdorf? I mean, what, what does Bergdorf do to defend the franchise?
5: Well, think about the opportunities that Bergdorf's has. With Barney's now basically closing its doors just yeah. two or three doors away, a lot of the people who want designer brand clothing, while they used to shop both Bergdorf's and Barney's before, now you're going to have Bergdorf's. And so some of those brands, the, whether it's the exclusive collaborations, or whether it's designer meet and greets, whether it's continuing to invest in the store and make it a difference in a wow, along with the service aspects, there's a personal connection there. Internet is certainly important, but you got to right. marry it with the pictures and going in the store and saying, "I want to be in there." You got to create the want again. How
0: how do you fill the empty retail of upscale shopping, and whether it's Barney's or Bonwit or whatever? Do you just lower the? Is it, you just have to lower the rent. Is it just that simple?
5: What's the new concepts that are going to go in there? What's the new exciting wows? Look at what they're doing on Fifth Avenue now where they have a designer who put in basically different pictures based on some of the empty storefronts in order not to have a Fifth Avenue that you walk down where you count vacancy, vacancy, vacancy. And it just feels like there's more and more. So my sense is that we need not only just new stores selling goods, but who else is going to sell experiences? And those experiences... It can be activities it could be services like spa services or beauty over the next 10 years we're going to have a reiteration of what Fifth Avenue is
0: what's the middle market look like did we go up and low and nothing in between or is there an in-between out there for American retail
5: I think overall value and convenience matters and that's why you're seeing the off prices do so well and that's why you're seeing the discounters do so well too but you bet mid market matters. And what are we going to see? I think we're going to see some of these online only retailers mm-hmm. get into physical also. So, is it a new generation of brands? And also, when you think about those services, look at rental. Rent the Runway has stores. Yeah. Look at subscription like Stitch Fix, or look at consignment like Real Real, yeah. opening on 71st in Madison. Rental, consignment, and subscription over the next few okay. years are going to become more important.
0: H and M is looking at rent the runway equivalency as well. Does luxury have to go to a rent the runway mode?
5: Isn't I think some of the luxury goods companies themselves, whether they do it or not, but they're going to have offshoots do it, like the real reals out there. Yeah. When you think of thread and and Poshmark or Vestiaire Collective, there's a lot of opportunities because millennials or even Gen Zs. The permanency of ownership may not be as realistic for them as it was for their parents. For you, this is a
0: critical question. It's really come up not only at the Thanksgiving table but with team surveillance. Do you find the value point of Rent the Runway attractive for women and that, you know, they look at whatever it is per three months or whatever is an attractive point versus buy and own?
5: I think for some, it all depends. Now, all of a sudden, renting is not just for special occasion, it's for every day. And the ability to have new items all the time makes it appealing to them. But there's another thing that we're going to be talking about, sustainability. And what does it mean to understand what your garments are made of and where they're made of? The story behind the garment is going to become front and center.
0: Give us the item this uh, holiday season, Dana Telsey. What's the thing that every woman needs?
5: I think boots are back. I think boots are back. Oh, God, come
0: on. This is just, you're killing me, Dana. You like boots every year.
5: Oh, no. Last year, boots weren't back. I think fashion sneakers are slowing. I think boots are back. And you know what? We're still going to see the strength in outerwear.
0: Day, this is this is always, Colin, make a note. This is always too short with Dana uh, Telsey. And of course, we know that what she's zeroing in on is a Jimmy Choo 100 millimeter uh, mirin Booty, no doubt named after the acclaimed actress. The Mirin Booty, that's priced in at $1,195. Uh, uh, Dana Telsey, thank you so much. Telsey Advisory Group there as well. London to Paris and maybe we can start there with a recovery of the violence in Paris that we saw a few years ago there we get in hundreds of books as you can imagine every day and a couple times a year a book just simply stops you in its tracks that was the case with the Seine, S-E-I-N-E, the river that made Paris because Elaine Cialino went to the art director and they went through 15 cover ideas before they absolutely nailed the image of how we see this river through Paris. She is, of course, beyond uh, acclaimed uh, with her decades of work uh, at the New York Times and any number of books before the Senate. How did the book cover come out? I mean, the book cover captures everything we believe, doesn't it?
3: Well, uh- it's, a, it's always a work in progress, and you don't know. And then, as you said, you know, somehow it all comes together like a big uh, minestrone soup, and it, it rises to the occasion. And it's a great cover because it's a great photograph from photographer Peter Turnley that captures the mood, the romance, the ethos and culture of this great river
0: Uh, in my childhood I had the immense privilege of going to France and I remember they took us out to Fontainebleau and you know we did the Monet Manet thing the Monet I should say out there when we think of the Seine for most Americans it's going to be three arrondissements and maybe they get over to the Eiffel Tower how north and south of the Seine did you go
3: Oh, I went from one end to the other. Where does it begin? It begins in the middle of nowhere in deep Burgundy, and not the famous wine part of Burgundy, but this poor agricultural area kind of north of Dijon. And then it moves through Paris all the way to the sea at La Havre, the famous port at La Havre. It's almost 500 miles long.
0: And what what did you learn that you didn't know? I mean, Elaine know, knows everything there is about France. We know that already. <laughs> and and what did you what was the biggest surprise for you in putting three hundred pages together?
3: That there was a Gallo-Roman goddess of the Seine, a healing goddess named Sequana. And it was she who guided the Seine and, in the end, it was the Seine water, and I think the spirit of Sequana, that saved the Notre Dame Cathedral, because half the water yeah. that put out that fire came from the Were Seine. Were you
0: there for this horrific tragedy that afternoon?
3: I was what not. Was I was in New York and and, and saw it actually on, on t- television images here.
0: I mean, you, you see it. What was the emotion as you saw? I mean, we, we knew someday it would happen. It, it was no one was surprised and yet it was just shocking where does that stand
3: right now no one was surprised that it happened but everyone was surprised at the gravity of it and the fact that yeah. that the that the that the cathedral almost fell uh, it's in what we call plein transformation full transformation right now they're still doing studies on it they're still cleaning out tons and tons of lead that had fallen right, from the right, roof right. And it's going to be a good year before they before they start the actual renovation.
0: When they started and I assume that you know, with all due uh, joy they say one year, five year, whatever, and it's gonna be forever to replace it is you know, I think of Ken Follett and all of his historical fiction, how these cathedrals take forever to redo. To you, is it a forever to get Notre Dame
3: back? Notre Dame is there. Notre Dame is an organic kind of uh, mm-hmm. entity because it's changed and transformed over the centuries. It, it, you know, the president of France says it's going to take five years for it to be rebuilt. Right. I think within five years it'll be open. But it will probably take much longer than that for it to be completely restored to its former glory.
0: Uh, this book, folks, is so important. The Seine, the river that made Paris—is it economics, finance, investment? No. Is it something about the politics of the moment? No. But it's a single book that we saw for the holiday season that said, you know, forget about. It. I'm going to Paris. I got to read it. It's just readable about the culture and the fabric that transcends the 500 miles of the Seine. And with it, you nail it. Because to us, it's always that woman outside Tiffany's, um, you know, she's breakfasted at Tiffany's, but there is Audrey in your book with the quintessential photo. How important is that to our state of mind of the Seine right now?
3: Well, it's very important to our state of mind in the world right now, because what I find back here in the United States where I'm doing a two month book tour, is that everybody is so angry, you know, and fighting with each other. And when you think about communing with a river and just Mm -hmm. being one with nature, there's just something, we call it the partage, the sharing, and this notion of making contact with the other in a calm, peaceful way. And what I tried to do in this book was to say, let me share my Paris, my France with you, and, dear reader, may you forget a little bit about all of your daily woes, whether it's impeachment or fires in California or climate change. Just let's think about what we, we share together about this incredible country and this incredible river. Gillian Jackson,
0: we did his De Gaulle, spectacular one volume on De Gaulle. We have a new De Gaulle. His name is Macron. We've got the transformation with Germany right now. Give us uh, the Elaine update on how young Macron is doing.
3: Well, it's interesting you you evoke de Gaulle because he has de Gaulle's memoirs on his desk, and he kind of sees himself as a modern day de Gaulle yeah. rather How's that working. Well, it doesn't because he's too young and and too green, and you know he's not a politician. He's more of a revolutionary and he wants yeah. change and he wants change immediately. And de Gaulle was patient, and, and that's the c- crucial difference between the oh. two leaders.
0: We got an email, someone's listening. Mrs. Keene emails in and says, Why is it so expensive to fly to Paris? You're the expert on this compared to London. There's a price differential
3: here. Well, what I would say is travel on the in the in the dead of winter. You know, forget about going in May or September. Yeah. And just set up one of those skyscanner alerts and, and because you can get a fair you can get a five hundred dollar yeah. round trip New York Paris airfare if you try hard yeah. enough. And when you come to Paris, come and I'll show you my my Paris. It'll 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 What cut is your some- Paris versus what we see, you know, in the three streets we run, wander around? Well, both I'm I'm now starting to travel along the Seine as a as a as a first-time tourist and I'm looking at the bridges of the Seine, for example, yeah. and looking at them as a cultural entity. And my last book was on one street in Paris. And what I what I have done is I have taken people on my own kind of intimate amateur tour of a secret Paris. What's a, Singapore
0: new for? What's a single bridge in Paris that really captures all this?
3: Oh, my my! I, I love the Pont de la Tournelle because before dawn you can stand on it and you can look at the sun rising and it lights up the back of Notre Dame Cathedral in bright orange with the sun rising on it. And you own Paris if you do that. That's and, not something that everybody knows. No, well,
0: congratulations on a book where you go, damn! I've got to read this, and you don't have time to read it, but you will. The Seine, the river that made Paris, Elaine Chiano, with the authority of her decades of work for the New York Times, on uh, well, on France, because it much more than just on Paris. I mean, Paris is the image, but uh, uh, there it is. The Seine, the river that made uh, Paris. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance podcast